so we can get started. Nat, can we turn the main volume down just a little bit? I can hear myself way too much. That's good. Everybody hear me there? Is that good? Okay, good. Uh, well, welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be, uh, what we're going to do this year is we're going to talk about the doctrine of God. And, um, and the Bible's teaching about God himself and various things. And so this week and then next week is going to be kind of introduction to all of that and kind of uh, what we're going to do. And, uh, and then we'll actually jump into some things. Next week, I'll get more into like specifics of the types of things we're talking about when we're talking about the doctrine of God. And... Um, and so we will um, we'll jump into more of that this week, this week uh, or next week. But this week I want to present really just kind of a, uh, a motivating, I guess, if you will, uh, uh, thing to study theology, uh, trying to encourage everybody to study theology, which is what this is. And um, I enjoy it in my best of times anyway. And, um, and I want you to enjoy it as well. And the way that I'm going to structure, the way I'd like to do the, the structure this class is we'll usually come in, I might say a few things like I'm doing now, letting some people kind of come in and get settled in and that. And then um, I'll pray and I'll jump in. And it's going to be teaching, just kind of one-way teaching for about probably 35 minutes. Okay, and then I'll just end it wherever we're at at about that time and open it up to any kind of questions or comments. Um, so I would prefer to do it that way than, than more of the interactive style where we're um, ping-ponging back and forth and stuff. And I think that one of the reasons I would like to do it that way is because um, uh, if we save all those questions and comments till the end, then we're not getting... Uh, distracted in what I'm teaching. But in addition to that, people are watching this later on online, and they're also going to be listening to these uh, teachings on our uh, sermons page and stuff. And if you've ever tried to listen to uh, a class or a lecture or something of that nature, and it's interactive, it's very challenging to do it. As a matter of fact, I shut them off when they're like that. I just listen to something else because I, you can never really hear what the person's asking. Usually it's, you know, it's back and forth and different things. And so I, what I'm going to do is present material, present the teaching. If you think of something that, you know, a question you have or something that kind of pops into your mind about it, then just jot that down and at the end, we'll have plenty of time to address those questions and comments, okay? Does that make sense? Now, I'll probably repeat that, what I just told to you, for like the first three to four weeks, just as reminders or people that are jumping in, and, uh, and, uh, but uh, just so you know, that's what we're doing. I do want to ask, answer questions if I can uh, and, and hear comments and such. That's just fine. But we'll always save those two um, till the end. So with that, let me pull this up for me. Hopefully I can pull it up my notes here. And then I'm going to pray and we'll kind of jump in with, um, with this week's lesson. I should have had this pulled up already. Shame on me. And then I updated my deal. There it is right there. Boom. I did an update on my 
um, iPad, which I never like to do because things then always look different and things are lost and disappear, So, but it came out easily. So let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, we are going to begin now um, thinking about you and how you have revealed yourself to us. And we want to be right in our conclusions, and we want to be humble in our conclusions, and we want to be humbled by what we find in Scripture, and we want it always to result in uh, worship from us to you and in glory to you. And so I just pray, even as we begin this year of, of talking about you and, and your nature, essence and being, your attributes, your will, your works that you do, um, I just pray that as we do that, uh, you would help us and guide us, and that each week we would be leaving here encouraged in, in our knowledge and relationship with you. And so I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so um, let's talk this week uh, just a little bit about theology itself and its importance and why we do it. Some of what I'm going to present tonight, some of you might have heard uh, when you went through the, uh, we did systematic theology. Remember that? For two years, really, in Sunday school, a number of us walked through systematic theology. And that's where you, uh, systematic theology is where you're systematizing headings of Scripture, right? Of like um, the doctrine of the Bible, uh, the doctrine of the Christ, the doctrine of the end times. And you look at what the whole Bible says about a subject, and then you draw conclusions about that, and that becomes your theology, your systematic theology. And we walk through everything in two like school year formats like we're doing right now, all of those doctrines. Now what we're going to do is still systematic theology where you're taking all those truths, what the whole Bible says about a certain subject, organizing those together and making statements, but we're just going to do it with one of those headings, okay? In that class, we called it um, theology proper. That's one of the ways of expressing what we're going to look at. Theology proper, that is just looking at God and his, who he is and what he does and what he's like and what is God and all of those kinds of questions. And we're, but we're putting it under the doctrine or the teaching of God himself, which I think is, um, has become, is becoming to me my favorite area of theology, thinking about studying about God. And this kind of got me going um, last spring and I came across the book by Michael Reeves that we're recommending, by the way. Uh, it's called Delighting in the Trinity. It's a pretty short book, and I think we have them out on that counter. And he was, in that book, he's arguing that oftentimes when we think about the Trinity, we're like, oh, we just don't understand what that means. And so it's just, we just can't think about that much. And he's saying, he's arguing that, well, we can't fully comprehend everything, but we can comprehend what God's shown to us, and that can be really wonderful to us, and we can study that, right? And we can then delight in the, the triune God, 
and his triune nature and see how it's essential for who God is to even be God that he's triune and how he works through Father, Son, and Spirit and such. So we, so we, um, so that kind of got me thinking and I was doing so much reading on that over the summer, had been out of the loop of all the modern controversies with the doctrine of the Trinity and kind of got back, got into the loop with those and some things that emerged out of that. And so it was really thrilling to me. And, and I thought, well, let's do a, a doctrine of God class uh, for the next year because I knew I was teaching tonight. And so that's kind of how this came about. And of course, we run from like now till uh, right before Memorial Day. And so we'll have plenty of time, I think, to go through the most essential parts of that. But I want to show you something uh, from the Bible um, as we launch off in our study of theology and of doctrine itself. And look at um, 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is a passage that <clears throat> I've looked at quite a bit, of course, as a pastor. Uh, here was Timothy. Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to pastor over that church in Ephesus. And um, he has some instructions here in chapter 4, with, which I think are wonderful for him as a pastor, but also some implications uh, for, uh, to him that, that God would use his ministry in the lives of his people. And he says in verse 13 of chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4, 13, he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And then catch this in verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself, and notice this, on the teaching. The teaching. Probably mainly referring here to the the body of doctrine or theology that you teach. Okay? Not necessarily... The public presentation, though that's how he's teaching what he's teaching, but the the teaching is probably what is being taught. Okay, it's not it's simply the act of being te- teaching. And he says, persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. God uses theology and good sound teaching and doctrine for saving purposes in the lives of his people. Now, what's interesting about this is Timothy was saved already. Oftentimes, we think about somebody getting saved. We're thinking about somebody who doesn't know the Lord, hears the gospel, believes, God saves them, and that's wonderful. But that's not the whole of the story. We are, Paul refers to this in in 1 Corinthians 15, we're all being saved right now. Well, what are the means that God uses to keep saving us, right? Keep us going on and believing and worshiping him and walking through the trials and coming out of those trials, still believing in God and worshiping God and serving God. And what does he use? Well, part of what he uses is doctrine and teaching. And this has been so pertinent to me when I, when I have had times, in the, and I have had many 
Okay? Even in the last 10 years of being the pastor here, I've had many times where my soul is uh, sh- shrinks up. And when it comes to my relationship with the Lord and, and passion and zeal, it, it, it's, um, what would you say, suppressed in a way. And I think that is really common to all believers because we have flesh and we walk in a world of uh, uh, sin and, and things. But what God has used for me, and the reason I'm bringing this out, oftentimes to invigorate me and like get me back on, on track and like really charge up my soul is good theology that just has a way of when you're really wrestling with something in theology, a lot of times Christians run from it. Like, I don't want to dig into something deep. We just want the surface level. But when you really dig into good theology, you're wrestling with these things. God uses that, friends, in a way that just invigorates the soul, especially when you're dealing with a doctrine of God, because this is the most important thing. Who is God, Right? What is God and how much we, can, we need to know about him. And as we know about him, we grow in our love of him. And we're, a, you know, we're more amazed and astounded by who God is. So I'm saying all of this just to say, give yourself to uh, the study of God maybe this year. And if I bring out books and I recommend them, try to give some time. And I recognize not all of you. Uh, are full-time pastors and just get paid to read for 80% of your job. I get that. But you can uh, avail yourself of opportunities to always be thinking about things. And you will find that to be, I hope, thrilling to your soul as you're growing in your knowledge and you're growing in your understanding of who God is. Theology, God uses it in our hearts often to to, uh, light a fire in us. Or in 2 Corinthians 4, let's look at that one for just a second. 2 Corinthians 4. You think about this in the context of the fact that um, we are fallen creatures in this world and life is difficult and challenging and, um, and we're often faced with trials and various things that we're going through. And he says, though, in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4, He says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, everyone in here, your outer self is wasting away, okay? And the more, and the longer you age and the longer God keeps you here, the more you read that and go, I know exactly what he's talking about, right? The outer self is wasting away. But the inner self is being renewed how often? Day by day. Through the work of the Spirit invigorating you, point reorienting you to Christ. And he says in verse 17, for this light momentary affliction, whatever it is we're going through, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. 
but the things that are unseen are eternal. And as I'm applying this passage right now, I'm saying the things that are unseen, that's your theology. And you're giving yourself to it. Because what we tend to do is we give ourselves so much to the things that are seen. And we give ourselves so much to this world and what we're doing here. And God is saying, look at the things that are not seen and invest time in that. Because the things that are seen are transient. They come to an end. And what better way to do that, right, than to to take the time to think about God and study about who he is. The God who is unseen. And we just focus on him and the various aspects and even the things that make us scratch our heads. Or sometimes I'm reading somebody and I'm like, I don't understand what he just said. And I have to actually go back and read it again, trying to figure out. I mean, it, it gets so at times complex. And yet, this is who God is. And the soul and the mind are being enlarged. And, and your inner man is being renewed. The more you look at God and, and study about him. So I think that especially in times of trial, our tendency, right, is to take our minds off of the unseen and put them on the scene and ultimately we have to give attention to the things that are seen he doesn't argue that you have to deal with the, your problems you have to deal with your struggles you can't just go live like a like a monk out in the desert by yourself and think that your problems go away because they won't go away out there but but what he's saying is look to and what i'm proposing is this even through the trials, we're looking to the things that are unseen, that are eternal, and the, and the primary thing, I don't even like to use that terminology with God, but the primary thing that we're staring at is God himself, right? The doctrine of God. Okay, so I'm pitching it to you to say, let's try this together, and let's learn together, and, um, and give yourself to this as much as you can. I could point you to a number of podcasts and other things, books, resources, if you're interested in just reading more on your own. Or if you can't do that and aren't going to do that this year, that's just fine. Just listen in on this and let that be uh, a part of your, um, your walk with God. Okay, so let's talk now about theology itself. Uh, for some, this is an intimidating word. And it makes it even more so the fact that we say that there are uh, such a thing as theologians, right? So we'll say, wow, theologians, boy, this stuff's for theologians. I'm just little old me. I'm not a theologian. Well, R.C. Sproul said, famously, everyone's a theologian. The only question is whether you're a good one or a bad one, right? That's the only question uh, is whether you're a good one or a bad one. Uh, because theology is essentially the words are just thoughts about God, right? And, and conclusions about God. That's your theology and everybody has it. Some people say there is no God. Well, that's a bad theology, isn't it? But it's their theology nonetheless. And some people have all sorts of thoughts about God that they may feel good about those thoughts, but those thoughts aren't true. It's just bad theology. But we're all theologians and we need to pursue being good ones. That is, we're correct, as much as we can be, we 
have our truth from the scriptures, okay? So that's what we're doing. Now, here's a definition. This comes from um, that first slide, uh, Natalie. And uh, this comes from, uh, he's an Irishman, Alan Carnes, C-A-I-R-N-S. I I, I wouldn't know how to pronounce that in Irish. Uh, Cairns, Carnes, I don't know. I don't have an Irish accent, but, uh, or how they pronounce their A-I's and those things. But anyway, his uh, Dictionary of Theological Terms, uh, and under theology, this is what it says. It comes from the Greek, theos, which is God, and then logos, which is word. Most of us are familiar with the word logos. Word, speech, idea, um, message can be understood in different, different ways, but the idea of his word, God, put those together, and uh, it's, this is why I said it's speech about God. Anytime we embark on making a statement about God, Okay. God is good. I just presented theology, didn't I? I just presented a theology. I uh, articulated something about God. This is whether it's true or not. You're saying theology, okay? And it is the systematic study of the being, attributes, purposes, and works of God and of the world man and history in relation to him. So theology, no matter what area of it you're studying, is all about whom? God, right? It's all about God. Uh, Theology may be talking about the doctrine of man, and there is that, and we went through that in, in our class in Sunday school. But ultimately, it's not about man. It's about man in relation to God, So everything in theology is about God or relation to God, but it's always going to bring us back to God, okay? And I'll talk about this towards the end, just about how we need to really make sure we're viewing that in the right way. Now, here's what I want to hone in on for a second. Listen to this. This may surprise some of you. It is usually referred to as a science. Anybody ever thought of theology as a science? It's usually referred to as a science. Why? Because it should be conducted by the investigation of the objective data of divine revelation. Now, let me just pause right there for a second. Let's talk about that. Back in the day, okay, before any of us were even born, uh, and uh, when theology was cool, and, uh, you know, everybody respected it. Uh, and most of the universities, even here in the United States, the found, back in the beginning, they were theological in nature and founded upon good theology and all that kind of thing. But uh, theology was in the Department of Sciences. As a matter of fact, it's been referred to as the queen of all sciences. Okay? And um, because it, there's a reason they thought about it as science. Now, in our culture it's not thought about as a science at all. It's lumped under other categories. If you go to a university now and you wanted to study religions in it all, uh, they're not going to point you into the science wing of the university, okay? They're going to point you to some other, you know, you can go over there with the other philosophical kooks and talk about things that don't matter. We're over here doing real science because we're dealing with facts, 
And we're, de- we're dealing with observable data that we can analyze and then come to conclusions about that science. What you're talking about, wow, that's just religion. You see? And this, we hear this all the time, right? There's great distinction in it. But there was a time when theology was considered a science because, and I like what he draws out here, and this is why I put his definition, because it should be conducted by the investigation of the objective data of divine revelation. You know, if you're in science, uh, and some of you liked science, right, and took science classes and things, and what did they teach you in science? What do you do? Well, you, you, you get some data, or you have some data, and you analyze that data, and you research that data, and you watch something, you observe it over and over again, and then you draw conclusions on that. I know I'm oversimplifying it, but really the goal is to find out how something works or what something is or how something's broken up. And they're, they're analyzing objective data and then drawing conclusions based upon their observation of it. Okay? And this is also why uh, we, must be ca- we must be discerning when we hear from the scientific community. Not, I think it's a wonderful thing that people are given to science in that. But if they're observing the same data, let's say a non-Christian scientist is observing just creation itself. And they're already coming into it with the thought, well, this all came from one source, the Big Bang, and it's been evolving for billions of years, and we analyze it with those glasses on, right? They're going to come to a different conclusion than the person who believes Genesis 1, right? They're going to observe the same data, but they're going to come to different conclusions. That's why it's important. But the whole point is they're observing objective data, but that's what theology is doing as well. Theology is observing objective data, analyzing it, and drawing conclusions of it. It's in the pursuit of the same thing. It's in pursuit of truth and fact. And it's not irrational. It's very rational, very reasonable when it's done correctly, you see. We are observing the objective data. Well, for the Christian, what is the objective data? And there are two sources for the Christian to develop his theology that God has given to us. The one is creation itself. And what does Paul teach us in Romans chapter 1 can be known from creation? Well, he shows there that they know there's a creator. They just know it because it's plain to them, because God has shown it to them that there's not a possibility that everything came from nothing. And it displays, according to Paul in Romans 1, God's eternal power and divine nature. Like, whatever created all this is really powerful, okay? Whoever, whatever it is. They know there's a creator. They have that knowledge about him. So we can learn some things about God on, with just observing creation. But then what God has done is he has given us the 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 objective data to analyze as theological scientists of the Word of God, both Scripture and the incarnate Word of God, Jesus Christ, the historical, personal figure of Jesus Christ upon this earth. 
and what we know about him and what we read about him. And when we analyze this objective data, then we can come to sound conclusions about who God is. God is a God who has revealed himself to us in generally in creation and specifically in the Bible and in his son. And we observe that data and we draw off of that data that God has given to us and we make conclusions about God and all these other things, sin and ourselves and uh, uh, relationships and the cross and salvation and what's going to happen in the future. And after analyzing that, we, we come to conclusions about who God is. That's our theology. In other words, theology, friends, is not going to be based on our feelings. It's not the subjective data of how you feel. So it's not like, well, I don't feel like, you know, God would be that way. Or I don't feel like God would do that. Or I just feel like God would be this way or that way or the other way. That's not scientific enough, is it? Our conclusions about God are our feelings are, com- are completely irrelevant except that God wants affections from us once we see it. He wants us to love him. But the facts of Scripture, the truth of Scripture and of general revelation are what lead us to our sound theology in these two things. And so we, we analyze these things and when, how we're going to do theology even this year, we're of course going to use the Bible, Right? We're going to draw our conclusions out of what the texts say. We're going to analyze God's revealed word to us, and we'll draw our theology from that, friends. And I'll get into this in just a second. But that means that we need to, we need to let God tell us who he is, right? We're not going to create a God of our own making. That's what every other culture and society has done since the fall of Adam and Eve. They have created for themselves gods they liked or they fashioned gods in their image or what they thought God should be like or should do or would do. And they've gotten really creative with that throughout history. And then some not so creative, like just making a statue of a frog and worshiping that saying this is God look at this frog and we'll just all sit and worship this frog they're not as creative those are the cultures that just didn't have the creativity gene within them I guess I don't know but we we go into scripture we analyze what God says and we let God tell us who he is and we accept that okay that's where we're going to get our theology Exodus chapter 20 I'll have you turn to that Exodus chapter 20, how important this is that we are cautious in our discussions about God, about how we draw conclusions about God, what we think about God. We must be cautious in this. God embedded in the Ten Commandments a caution about it. Chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, he said, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What you're doing when you 
imagine a God who isn't God, or you're thinking thoughts about God that aren't true, that have their, they're deriving from your own feelings or culture or whatever it is, it's idolatry. And God wants, God has revealed himself in his word as who he is. And we want God then to just lay that out for us in the systematic study then of theology, that looking through scripture, seeing what God says about himself, and then compiling that data to make statements about who God is. That's our theology. That's how we work that through. Okay. So, um, the final conclusions we draw about God are from the Bible. Now, two more things I want to go through here in our introductory uh, lesson here. And these are warnings about theology. There's inherent dangers in theological studies. Inherent dangers in studying theology. Okay, And there's more than what I'm putting down here, but I'm putting these few here. The first one is speculation. And when we talk about who God is, this becomes really important. Um, It's always important in theology. But speculation, in other words, going beyond what Scripture has revealed. And you're you're speculating about things in theology. A lot of speculation goes on in the doctrine of end times. So when people are studying about the doctrine of end times, and they're thinking about how Christ will return, and what that's going to look like at the end, and and God hasn't revealed a lot of things, not clearly. And I hear a lot of speculation about that. It makes me very nervous. You know, um, I'll give you an example because I think that's helpful. So I was listening to a podcast once that focuses exclusively on the doctrine of end times or more specifically, you know, uh, this end times prophecy things. And <clears throat> the, the person was interviewing this man and he had this idea that, you know, in the book of Revelation, the two witnesses that are killed and they're left in the street dead. And it says that everybody was celebrating around the world and they're sending gifts to one another. And this man says, see, now that we have Amazon, that's what that is. So these people, they're celebrating, they see it, and all of a sudden they start sending Amazon packages to people around the world. And on this podcast, that was taken seriously. And I thought, that is just mere speculation. That's what we want to avoid, okay? We want to avoid that, especially when we're talking about the person of God, or the being of God. Do you really want to speculate on the being of God and be wrong? We don't want to speculate where the scripture's light runs out. We stop walking down the path. When you're dealing with God, you have to understand you're dealing with a being that is infinite and we're not, which means our knowledge of him is limited and he is incomprehensible fully. Like there are going to be things that You just, you can see what it says in the Bible, believe what it says, but you can't fully wrap your mind around it. And you have to be comfortable with that in theology. There's an element of good old-fashioned mystery in theology. There are things that God keeps hidden to himself that he does not reveal to us, and we have to be okay with that. 
Okay, that's speculation. We don't want to do it. I'm going to give you a quote here. I put it up on the screen from John Calvin, uh, one of the great theologians of the past. And I've uh, been going through some of his uh, things in the doctrine of God in his classic work, what's called the, um, uh, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, um, which he originally wrote at about 27 years old to the king of France to petition him to stop persecuting or stop the persecution of Protestants. And he was sending it to him saying, this is what we believe. Can you have people stop trying to kill us? That would be great, right? So 27 years old, he compiled uh, the first book of the Institutes in the Christian Religion, which was essentially a systematic theology. He had it like eight chapters or something. But over the years, it, he had like four publications of that over the years, and it just kept growing and growing and growing. Now, till it's two volumes for most, or you can buy it in one volume that I have it now, the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And I always think, what, what was I doing at 27 years old? I wasn't writing anything that the church would be reading, you know, 400 years from there, 500 years from there. But this is what he said. And interestingly enough, this quotation comes from the intro part to where he's going to talk about the doctrine of predestination, which is always a sticky doctrine for Christians and has been, was then, and is now. And, and right before he gets to this, and he's most known for that doctrine. So most people think of Calvin. They say, are you a Calvinist? You believe in this or whatever. And, uh, and he, before the doctrine of predestination, this is what he wrote. He said, for it is not right that man should with impunity pry into the things which the Lord has been pleased to conceal within himself. Those secrets of his will, which he has seen it meet to manifest, are revealed in his word. Revealed insofar as he knew it would be conducive to our interest and welfare. If we give due weight to the consideration that the word of the Lord is the only way uh, which can conduct us to the investigation of whatever it is lawful for us to hold with regard to him is the only light which can enable us to discern what we ought to see with regard to him. It will curb and restrain all presumption. What is he saying? He's saying that once we come to the conclusion that we have to get our theology from the Bible and draw our conclusions from the Bible, and Calvin was a biblicist, and as a matter of fact, this is what separated him out as a Protestant from the Roman Catholic Church. He didn't read his Bible with the lens of, of uh, a tradition, of church tradition. He just looked into it. He brought out the meaning of what he said, and then he would write as best as he understood what that was. That's a, that's a biblicist. That's a person who understands the Bible to be where we get all of our theology. And he's saying it is not right for us to go beyond what God has written. We have to accept that what God has given us has been uh, other than what we can know generally in creation. We talked about that, not much, just that there is a God and he's really powerful and he created everything there is. And you can maybe make some statements about God in that, but our specific revelation of the Bible is where we get our theology and he's saying we need to draw that conclusion that this is it. God has revealed himself in these 66 books and where he has not spoken on something, we stop speaking about something. Because, as he says, for it will show us that the moment we go beyond the bounds of the word, we are out of course in darkness and must every now and then stumble, go astray, and fall. He's given the imagery of like walking down a path with a light, and then your light goes out or the path ends. You can't go any further. And when you're thinking about theology, 
It's really important that you agree that whatever God thought we needed to know about himself, he has put here. Beyond that is speculatory and should not be brought up, especially when we're talking about the doctrine of God. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Okay, the, uh, all things that pertain to life and godliness, he has given us in his word that we need to know, the sufficiency of the Bible for theology, okay? And then second, uh, here in danger, we gotta be careful of this, is pride, uh, theological pride. And uh, it happens, the more you know, it, it, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 that knowledge has this ability to puff up the mind to where you're just proud. Proud of what you know. Proud of how other people don't know what you know and how they should know what you know and you get prou- uh, proud with this. But good theology, friends, is supposed to be humbling. When theology is done right, you leave it not proud. You're actually humbled in a number of different ways. Not the least of which is, man, there's so much I don't know. I listen to some of these guys. I like to listen to guys that really stretch my brain. Theology, uh, the, the podcasts have been amazing thing because enemy of like, uh, I listen to one podcast and it's two professors, two seminary level professors and they're discussing these deep things of God and they've all they're all so well read and they're talking about all these guys from history and they've read them firsthand and they're Van Til and uh, and they're talking about uh, 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 you know uh, Karl Barth and all these guys and they've read all this and I'm like man I don't I don't really have the time or the mental ability to consume as much as they do. I try as hard as I can to consume as much as I can and read as broadly as I can, but I couldn't do all that. But, uh, but that, I, I leave all of that humbled, and then sometimes I come across doctrines, and this makes people uncomfortable. I know when their pastor says, you know, I, I just don't know about that. I, I'm not sure if I really believe that, and I'm honest enough to say, like, I'm just honestly saying, I don't know if I can land at that. I mean, I, I don't know if I see it. At, because to me, it's all so massive and mind-boggling that I don't know how anybody can be fully convinced of everything that they believe. <laughs> and yet we should be. We, we can have a confidence in where the, uh, what we draw conclusions. But I always think good theology done right is humbling. And it produces in us a love for God and a love for others that is really the ultimate goal of all good theology, right? The love of God and the love of others, this humility produces it, a real dependence on God, uh, almost that the psalm that talks about, I'm gonna quiet my soul now like a weaned child with its mother. I just, I'm not gonna think about things too wonderful for me. It's like this humbling aspect, a love for God. And the goal of all doxology is Romans 11, 33 to 36, where he says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And what I love about this passage is it's following, just it's concluding Romans 9 through 11, which is a mind-boggling three chapters. God's dealing with the Jews, what he's done, what he's going to do, the doctrines of things like election and other things that come up there that make people wrestle. And, and uh, it's just p- bringing you through all this massive uh, density of, topics and he has to just end it by saying man how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways 
For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has given to, gift to him that he might be repaid? And then catch this. The goal of all theology is doxology. That's why Paul brings it there. Verse 36. For from him. Notice these prepositions. For from him and through him and to him are what? Are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It all finds its source in God, its direction back to God, and it all results in the glory and praise of God. So if, we're, if we leave studying about God and we're proud, that's a problem. So we need to watch out for that and repent of that. And if we don't leave our theology with worship, that's what doxology is. It's worship. Worshiping of God, praising of who he is, then that's not good either. That's why I say there's inherent dangers in theology that I myself have experienced and probably will again many times and have to have God get me back on track in my thoughts and humility and such and, uh, and uh, studying it in such a scientific way that it's, uh, it is a science and you know, it, it, it loses what it should be which is that doxological nature of praise God. So we're gonna have to end there. Uh, for what I present. Now, let me, as promised, open up the class now to anybody who has any kind of questions, thoughts. Nobody? Aaron? (laughs) Nobody? Okay. Yeah. Because those are things that come and go. Right. But he and everything up to the last book has to be. Yes.